Welcome to A Disciple's Point of View, a podcast where we go over a variety of topics related to Christianity. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of A Disciple's Point of View. So we finished up Daniel, or I'm sorry, John chapter 2 at the end of last week's podcast. Now we're going to be going over John chapter 3, and it's probably one of the most famous chapters in the Bible with one of the most famous Bible verses, and that's what we're going to be going over today. In verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, first of all, he's coming to Jesus at night. He's obviously of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are already at odds with Jesus because basically he's saying that they're a bunch of hypocrites and telling the people, even though they sit in the seat of Moses, you're to do what they say to do, but you are not to do as they do because they are hypocrites, right? And this is well known in the Gospels. This is well documented. And so I think Nicodemus he knows there's something kind of peculiar about Jesus. He knows that uh, Jesus has to be somebody sent from God because nobody could do the things that he was truly doing unless he was actually of God. There's no way that this guy could be a false prophet and still speaking the truth, right? And so he comes to him at night, but he comes to him at night because he doesn't necessarily want to be seen. It doesn't necessarily say that there in the scriptures, but the scriptures are careful to say that he came to him at night. Picking it back up, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one could do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So it's almost like he's kind of buttering him up at this point. And Nicodemus probably was being genuine with saying this, but Jesus, he doesn't even acknowledge any of that. He just goes straight to the heart of the matter. In verse 3, Jesus answered him to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it's like Jesus is not even beating around the bush. He's just going to go straight to the heart of the matter. He knows why Nicodemus is there. He knows why Nicodemus wants to talk to him. So he just goes right to the heart of the matter. In verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't think he was being facetious here. I think he is like saying, well, what, what you're saying, Jesus, doesn't even make sense. So maybe he's sitting there trying to make sense of it. But in verse 5, Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This thought here is a lot of people interpret in uh, verse 5 that Jesus said, who is born of water and of the Spirit, basically almost making baptism a requirement to be saved. However, here's what I think. I think that what Jesus is talking about, whenever a woman is almost about to give birth, what breaks? Her water breaks, the embryonic sac around the the uh, the baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, right? I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. So clearly somebody has to be born, obviously, the first time and then born again the second time. I think it really is as simple as that. I don't think that there's anything about water baptism that saves at all. That's a testimony. That is a witness that you are saved and born again, and you now declare Jesus Christ as as your allegiance. Because let's think of the thief on the cross, right? At the end of many of the Gospels, it talks about uh, where he uh, rebukes the other thief on the cross for saying, you know, why don't you save us? You 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 saved others. Why can't you save us now? And the thief on the the other thief on the cross said, 
he came to a point of repentance. He goes, don't you realize this guy's done nothing wrong? And then he looks at Jesus, you know, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says of him, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say that, well, you're not water baptized, son, so you're not going to be saved. No, he doesn't say that at all. It was his faith that saved him. His faith is what saves him. So that's what I'm thinking here, that Jesus is saying, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That's corroborated right there, right? Born of water and the spirit. What uh, is born of flesh is flesh, but which is born of the spirit is spirit. In verse 7, do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is of everyone born of the spirit. So really, Nicodemus should have known this as a Pharisee. I'm going to take you back into the book of Ezekiel. In many of my podcasts, I always refer back to the prophecies in the Old Testament of the coming new covenant because, well, let's face it, if it's not prophecy prior in Scripture, how can Jesus say that he is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes unto the Father except by him, right? So in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 24, God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Full stop. Even the, this is given at a time prior to the Babylonian captivity. The, the kingdom of Israel to the north, the 10 tribes that went to the north were already scattered, right? And so this is a prophecy that basically they're going to be gathered into the land. And in verse 30, or I'm sorry, in chapter 37 of Ezekiel, uh, the prophet Ezekiel talks about two sticks being brought into one, right? So it's that prophecy. Not only are you going to be regathered from the nations and brought back into the land, you're going to be one nation and one kingdom again. So this can't simply be the, the kingdom of Judah coming back from the Babylonian exile. And then God said he was going to do that then, right? Um, it's that the Messiah will come, will institute the new covenant via the means that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, specifically in verses 5 and 6, um, and then that God would do in successive verses here after uh, the Messiah had made purification for sin. In verse 25 of Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of your flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules, and you shall dwell in the land that I shall give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. Let's think of also in Daniel chapter 9, where um, the coming of the, uh, the anointed one was going to bring about the purification from sin, to do away with sin, to bring about everlasting righteousness, right? And to seal up vision and profit and to do all of these remarkable things that happen in the new covenant. That is why Jesus said, you're Israel's teacher and you do not know these things. This should not surprise you. In verse nine of Daniel chapter, or I'm sorry, John chapter three, it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Like I just said in verse 10, like I just said, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things because it was clearly prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, in verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. When he's speaking in the plural, he's talking about he and the father, right? In verse 12, if I told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven except that which who descended from heaven, the son of man. That's in reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where one like a son of man approached the ancient of days and received an everlasting kingdom that will never pass away. Um, in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent, serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him must have eternal life. This is a reference to Numbers chapter 21 in verse 4. It says, from Mount Horeb, they set by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against the God, or I'm sorry, against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. We loathe this worthless food. So this is food. This is the manna given from heaven by God. And the people are sitting here saying, we loathe this worthless food. In verse 6, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that you will take the serpents away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look to the bronze serpent and live. The difference here is, is the reason why this is not an idol is they just simply look at it. And they have faith that basically that God will do exactly what he said he would do. That is why under the new covenant, the people are saved simply from belief. People have never done that really in history. And if people do do that, it astounds people. It's very much like, uh, or I'm sorry, not astounds people, but astounds the Lord. And he rewards them with saving faith, with salvation. It's very much like whenever the centurion came to Jesus and said, I have a, ser a servant who I love. He fell ill and Jesus says, okay, I'll go to him. And he goes, no, 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 I have no need of you to do that. Just say the word and I know it's going to be done because I'm one who is under a chain of command. And I know that if you, being the Lord of the universe, do this, then I know it'll be done. And Jesus marveled and said, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Go, it shall be done as you have requested. And it was, it actually did happen that way. And so this bronze serpent is very much like the illustration. Keep in mind, they were bit by fiery serpents. God says, well, look upon the thing that actually is hurt you and killing you. If you look to it and know that I will save you from it, then I actually will. Okay, so that's what Jesus is referring to whenever he says the son of man shall be lifted up because how did he get how did he die for the sins of the people as prescribed in uh, and predicted in uh, Isaiah chapter 53? He was on a cross and lifted up off the earth, very much similar to the bronze serpent. And in a like manner, if we look upon the son of God on the cross, who is crucified for the sins of the world, for who is crushed for our iniquities and bruised for our transgressions, right, in accordance to Isaiah chapter 53, then we'll live similar to those who looked upon the bronze serpent. And here is the most famous Bible verse in all of the world. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Keep in mind, it does not say here that those who are baptized, that those who do um, uh, good works, those who, uh, who uh, go and follow the Ten Commandments, those who also follow the law and have faith in Christ. It says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In John chapter 5, it says the same thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, John, 1 John 
in chapter five, it says that same thing. I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. In verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, there will come a time when the world will be condemned because they did not believe. But his primary mission at that point is to bring the salvation into the world, is to herald the coming kingdom of God. Right. Because under the new covenant, the kingdom of God is being gathered in and we are the kingdom of God. But it is not 100 percent fully instituted yet. In verse 18, whosoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Later on in this chapter, it talks about that God's wrath remains on you. So I've often said that God's wrath either falls on Jesus or it falls on you. Either way you slice it, it has to fall on somebody for the sins that you've committed and that everybody else has committed in the world as well, right? It either falls on Jesus by you having that faith in him and obviously knowing who's going to receive salvation. God uh, retroactively puts that righteousness upon the person even now in 2022 who believes upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 19, and this is a judgment. And I want to say one thing in addition to that before I go into verse 19. This is very much similar to in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that says, whoever confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in his heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, that person will be saved. It's corroborated right here by what John said. I've been seeing a lot of weird stuff on Twitter where it's like, oh, it was said to us, but not for us. That's ridiculous. The scripture talks about the new covenant and anybody who simply believes in what God has instituted, very much like the bronze serpent in Numbers 21, the Son of God who was hoisted up on that cross, died for the sins of the world, and was raised from the dead. If we look upon Jesus in that manner, God will save us because God has said he will and is corroborated in the book of Romans, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of First John, and even in Revelation. And even in other parts of the gospel, even in the book of James, even though James 2.24 says, um, see, a man is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Without context, it makes it seems like you've got to do faith and works. But that's the only verse in the New Testament that literally seemingly has a contradiction like that. Right. But if you look over in Ephesians chapter two, it says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not by work so that no one can boast. And most people stop there. But if you go on to verse 10, I just quoted verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. But if you go on to verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So in the one hand, Paul is talking about faith. And then the second hand, he's talking about the works that we do that is born from that faith. And that is exactly what the book of James is talking about in James 2.24. He is talking about if you are a saved person, the fruit that you will yield will be works. And if you don't have any good works, then you might want to examine yourself and you may not truly be a person that is saved by faith. We work from salvation, not towards salvation. There is a huge, vast difference that is nothing alike. They are not comparable to any degree. If you are saved, it will result in works. 
If you are not saved, it likely will not result in Christian works. Although, since we are made in the image of God, we can do charitable works because that is the character of God, but that will not dominate your life and that will not be the focus of your life, right? Okay, so we'll pick it back up in verse 19. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And that is just simple and true. Whenever you're not a saved person, I can anecdotally say that, yes, you just, you enjoy doing the works of darkness. You enjoy going out and getting drunk. I really was fascinated by the occult. I wanted to learn witchcraft. The minute I got saved, though, I wanted nothing to do with that stuff. In verse 20, for everyone who does wickedness hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. So you, you find this, people uh, really hate Jesus Christ, even though They'll sit there and say good things about him. Ultimately, they do hate Jesus Christ because he says, you must be born again. You must receive Jesus Christ. Most people don't want to do that because they think, I've done nothing wrong. You don't know me. Only God can judge me. Which, honestly, that statement alone is the craziest statement in the world because if you say that only God can judge me, that should scare the living daylights out of you. Because if he is going to judge you based on the fact that even one sin will send you to hell, it's not a factor of your good outweighing your bad. For the scriptures declare in Psalm 53 and in Romans chapter 3, it's corroborated. There is no one who does good. All have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way and turned to wickedness, right? In verse 21, for whoever does not... I'm sorry, for whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If you're a saved person, you're going to boast that what you have done is strictly through God. It's very much like in Daniel chapter 2, whenever um, it was put to the enchanters and the wise men of Babylon uh, by the king of the kingdom of Babylon that they were to tell him what he dreamed and then tell him the interpretations. It's like, you must know what went on in my own mind as I slept. And they literally said, no one can do this except the gods and they don't live among men, right? And Daniel prayed to the God of heaven and prayed for the dream to be made known to him, which God did do. And Daniel, his first response was praise. He went to God and he thanked God for that because only God could have done that at that point. And whenever Christians... Whenever people who come to faith in Jesus Christ um, truly do come to true faith, they're going to know that everything they do in their life is strictly because that God has enabled them to do it. They can only do it because of the Holy Spirit within them that pushes them to the Christian works that they are doing. And that brings us to the end of today's study. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to share this with your friends. Subscribe to this channel. Check out my YouTube channel and my Rumble channel channel and like and share those videos and I will see you all in the next podcast. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, 
you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.